Hey, good morning, church. Good morning. Is it, though? Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Um, so we are bridging two ideas today. Let's start on the Mount of, of Transfiguration. Um, and it's, it just sort of blows by real fast because the way that story is written, you know, that whole, that whole story, that whole glorious encounter took place in like a paragraph. I want you to picture it with me, okay? On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, they saw something truly incredible. They saw something that almost nobody else got to see. There's Jesus, who Scripture tells us most of the time had nothing special about him from the outside. He didn't look like anything special. But here on the Mount of Transfiguration, here's what they saw. They saw Jesus in his glory. His clothes were like lightning. His face was like the sun. And in that holy and awesome moment, he wasn't alone. There were a couple other characters who snuck up on that mountain, right? Four guys went up. Six guys were there. Jesus was standing with Moses and with Elijah. And and we get this from reading some of the other texts too. He was instructing them on what was going to happen. Now, given the fact that Jesus is glowing and radiant, this, this Moses and Elijah detail might not mean a lot to you, especially if you don't know a lot about the Bible. But I want to tell you that it is a huge deal. For one thing, Elijah had not been around for almost a thousand years. And here he is. Moses goes back even farther than that. For him, it's like 13 to 1500 years. But here they are, up on the mountaintop. And I don't know how exactly, because they didn't have like photographs and video back then. But Peter, James, and John look at them and go, obviously Moses, obviously Elijah. I don't think they had name tags. Maybe. Um, but they just knew, right? There's Moses, there's Elijah, they're talking to Jesus. And what you should know about Elijah and Moses is, is they were real people, but they also represented big ideas. Elijah was a prophet, considered maybe one of the greatest prophets, maybe the greatest prophet, right? He represented as a prophet the voice of God amongst men. That's what a prophet does. He speaks the words of God to men. A prophet who calls people to, to, to repent and to look forward to the deliverance of God. Often what the prophet is doing is trying to turn people's eyes toward the future, the promises of God that will be fulfilled. He represents hope, right, and faith in God's deliverance. That's Elijah. And then there's Moses. Now, Moses was... He had a special relationship with God. It was to Moses that the law was given, and then Moses brought the law to the people. So he's thought, he thought of as this great law giver. He, he was the first judge over all Israel, right? More than a million people, and he's like the judge. If you're a, a believer in God in Jesus' day and you want to know how to live, right? What's the right thing to do in this situation? You know who's got the answer? Moses, right? Moses tells you everything you need to know to live. And then 
here it is, Elijah and Moses, and they're consulting Jesus. They would have been considered the highest authorities, and yet Jesus is telling them what's what. And we might be quick to say that, you know, because this is part of our, part of our Christian culture, we might be quick to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, right? But for those words to be real in our lives, you can't just look to Moses. You can't just look to Elijah. For those to be real words in our lives, then you have to follow the way. You have to believe and speak the truth. You have to receive and live the life. So with that in mind, I would like to say to you, welcome to the Red Letter Challenge. Who's excited? That is a Lutheran level of excitement I saw there. Outstanding, <laughs> outstanding. There were eight people who went. I want you to be excited. Excitement helps get some momentum going, you know? So these next 40 days, we have the opportunity to grow in our faith and to stretch out of our comfort zone more than ever. Because we are going to read the words of Jesus and then we're going to just, we're going to try it. Perfectly? No. That's what grace is for. But as we lean into the promises of God, I think we're going to experience a bigger, more robust, beautiful life as we, we follow Jesus with intentionality and dedication Matthew 9, 37 says, uh, Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's work to be done, and Jesus invites us to be those workers. So if we're his workers, how are we doing? How well are we representing Jesus? When I think of Jesus, um, when you think of Jesus, maybe some of the first words that come to mind might be things like grace, love, kindness, joy, maybe power. If you ask church folks what they think of fellow Christians, you get a mixed bag, right? Uh, some folks will say positive things. I think we have a lot of that in our church. Some folks say negative things. It gets even more challenging, we use the word challenging, when you start asking people who don't believe in Jesus, people who don't go to church, what they think about Christians. A few years ago, um, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, authors, they're writing a book, they spent three years polling young unchurched Americans to find out what they thought about Christians. Millions of young people, they discovered, see Jesus followers as judgmental, Hypocritical, too political, old-fashioned, out of touch, insensitive, and boring. Now, your immediate reaction, like mine, might be that this characterization is grossly unfair. I'm not boring. <laughs> <laughs> I 
maybe we can go better than that. You know, when I think about the church, I've, you know, I think about the, some of the good things we do, right? And they should be recognized. Why don't people recognize that we help prisoners who are all alone and hopeless? The, that we send help, real meaningful help, to third world countries where poverty runs amok? Why don't people notice how the church, more than governments, more than other NGOs, it's the church who is often at the forefront of disaster relief. And that many churches give in meaningful and powerful ways to support the needy in their own communities. These are real things that churches do, but it's not, it's not what's seen. Maybe you could blame bad press, right? It's, it's a little more... Uh, a little more enticing to read the article or buy the newspaper when the article is salacious, you know, about controversies in the church. But I think bad press is, is only half the answer. Of that survey of the millions of young people, 50% of the respondents said that they based their negative views on personal contacts with Christians. As the authors wrote, Many of those outside of Christianity reject Jesus because they feel rejected by Christians. The fact is, we are, we're broken. We are sinners. And if we take a moment to honestly reflect on how we are doing at representing Jesus, all of us will probably come to the conclusion that I and we have not represented Jesus well. The Red Letter Challenge was born out of a desire to represent the real Jesus. I believe that if we can show people who Jesus really is, many of them will choose. They will desire to be close to him. After all, when I think about all that Jesus did for me, I'm not content with having no relationship with him. And I'm not okay with people thinking Jesus is judgmental or boring or outdated. We're called to bring people close to Jesus by how we live. And somehow people are rejecting Christianity by the way that we have lived. And I can't live with that. I can't live without giving everything that I possibly can towards changing the image we have given to Jesus. Knowing the grace that he's won for me, knowing the grace that he's given me, knowing how he's changed my life, I can't just sit back and, and, and let this be the picture we show of Jesus. We're not going to sit back. We're, we're going we're gonna to change the story. But how? And this is one of the big problems churches have. You know, as followers of Jesus, many of us don't know what to shoot for. There are churches who have figured out how to draw a lot of people. That in itself isn't bad. But oftentimes those efforts aren't very effective in growing and maturing people. 
You can draw people in by offering a worship experience that makes them feel better, but it might actually not help them be better. As Christians, we can have the best intentions in the world, but if we are succeeding at things that don't matter, then maybe we're doing more harm than good. There are a lot of answers for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And with that in mind, how do we know what to trust and what to do? Even people who have been in the faith for their whole lives still struggle practically with knowing what it means to follow Jesus on a daily basis. So how do we fix the problem? How do we know what to aim for? Well, here's a thought. What if we actually take the words of Jesus and put them into practice? What if we have had the answers all along to what it means to truly, effectively follow Jesus? Maybe he gave us the answer already. That's what the Red Letter Challenge is about. As you heard me talk about with the kids, I'm going to tell you the story again from Jesus' own lips. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. That's the big idea, right? To change the picture we are giving of Jesus. We're going to have to take Jesus' words, the ones written in the red letters in many of your Bibles, and we're going to put them into practice for real. Maybe it's not a very original idea, but if we do it, I think it'll be revolutionary. Jesus called us to be his disciples, which means we get to represent him. We get to be his face and voice and hands in the world. And that's an opportunity. I believe that following after Jesus isn't a burden. It's the single greatest opportunity of your life. The stakes are too high and too important for us to just go through the motions and not know if we're effective or not. So, welcome to the Red Letter Challenge. 40 days of discipleship, putting into practice the words of Jesus. The big, there's sort of big categories, there's five big categories, and they line up with each week, right? Being. Before he invites us to start doing things for him, through him, in his name, first he invites us just to be in a relationship with him. Our relationship with him isn't contingent on what we do, right? But that relationship influences everything that flows from that. It empowers everything that flows through that. Being next is forgiving a lot of us struggle with receiving God's forgiveness, forgiving others, forgiving ourselves, being, forgiving, serving. Right? After spending time being forgiven by God and receiving his forgiveness, now we can look for opportunities to make a difference in the lives of the people around us. Giving. Giving. 
Jesus' followers are generous because Jesus is generous. And we, we look for opportunities to put the blessings we have to work in ways that make an eternal difference. That's why you have them. And lastly, going. We aren't just workers for God's kingdom, but we're also its messengers. The only way the gospel spreads outside these four walls is if we take it out there with boldness and sincerity. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Those are the five targets. That's what we're shooting for. These five principles that characterize Jesus' followers. So, welcome to the Red Letter Challenge. Over these 40 days, you'll be led to spend more time with a God who loves you. You'll forgive people you never thought you would be able to. You'll serve and sacrifice more than you ever have. You'll become a more generous person. You'll become a more courageous person in what you say and in how you live. I can think of no greater cause than the cause of living for Jesus. After all that he's done for you, for me. After the sins he's overcome in our life, there is nothing that I would rather do then follow after Jesus and help others follow too. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the salvation we've received through you, for the gift of grace that you bestow on us. When we didn't deserve it, you gave it anyways. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story, Lord. That's the beginning of the story. Now that we are forgiven and made whole, you invite us to follow, to live as you live. And Lord, like I said, I know that none of us are going to do this perfectly. We're going to need grace upon grace along the way. We thank you that each day you offer us a new opportunity to get up, receive that forgiveness, and keep going. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this congregation that as we start on Tuesday, moving through this red letter challenge, I pray that you will give us faithfulness and courage and boldness to hear these words of yours and to put them into practice for our benefit and for the benefit of the world around us. All these things we pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen.